Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. series death is dead i just felt like this whole month we ought to just talk about the victorious power of jesus and what he did through the resurrection and so we're going to continue that series today and today i want to talk to you around the subject the final nail in the coffin and the idea is this that the best way to kill death is to live a purposed life The best way to kill death and those things that come with it, death, hell, and the grave, to have victory over those things, just like Jesus did and the power that he gives us, is to live a God-purposed life. And so we're going to talk about that today. Let's take our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. And I'm reading from the NIV, and we're going to read that, and we're going to read another text as well. But read it with me. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And then we're going to read text, uh, the text Luke chapter 24, verse 4 through 8. And here's what it says. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? I, I love it because they're basically just saying, you're looking in the wrong place. You're not going to find him here. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember, he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask you to plant it deep in our hearts. And God, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in this moment. That God, you'll move among us by your spirit. That you'll take the words that you put in, in this Bible and that I'm going to attempt to communicate today. And I pray that God, you'll anoint them and bless them and use them to touch somebody else's life. God, help them, Heavenly Father, to minister to every single person who's watching today. Every single person who's praying with us today, worshiping with us today. God, God, I just pray that you'll lift them up, strengthen them, bless their family, and help us to grab a hold of this word in such a way that it will change our lives and impact our lives to affect the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I just think it's interesting that Jesus had told the disciples uh, of which these ladies were a part There were more than just the 12 disciples that followed Jesus. There were many disciples that followed Jesus. And he had told them what was going to happen. Jesus was the Messiah. He had shown that he was the Messiah. He had declared that he was the Messiah in many ways. And now it was coming to the end of his time on earth. And he was about to go to the cross. And he had told them, I'm going to go to the cross because a sacrifice has to be made. There has to be a penalty paid. And I'm going to pay it for all of humanity. And so then humanity doesn't have to pay it for themselves any longer, but they can just come to God, believe on me, and ask God to forgive them, and he will, and they can follow me and have eternal life. And that's the whole Bible plan of the gospel there. We've sinned as humanity. We've fallen from the grace of God, can't be in relationship with him. So Jesus made a way for that to happen by becoming the sacrifice, by paying the penalty we should have had to pay. Now, the thing that makes that powerful is not the crucifixion in and of itself. 
The crucifixion was a horrible moment in history. It was a horrible time for Jesus. It, was, it, it is the worst way to die. You can't, there's not a worse way to die. It's a death of suffocation. It is, it, he, was, he was treated this way when he was totally innocent. He was traded for a person who was guilty. He was treated with disrespect in the same week that he was treated with ultimate respect. It was just such a horrible moment. A moment that he could have stopped. A moment that he could have made, ceased and, and, and desisted. He could have said, these people aren't worth it. Humanity's not worth it. I'm not doing this. I'm not going through with this. Instead, he said, Father, not my will, your will be done. And he went through with it, and they crucified him, and he died on the cross, and then they put him in the tomb. Now, the thing that makes the cross so powerful is the shedding of the blood of Jesus, the breaking of his body, that brings the remission of sin. It brings forgiveness to us because the sacrifice is made. But it would have no power if what happened next hadn't happened. Jesus had told these disciples that he would be turned over to uh, the Roman government, that he would be treated and betrayed, that he would be uh, uh, crucified. But then he said, three days later, I'm going to raise again from the dead. On the third day, he said, I'm going to raise again from the dead. He had said this many times and very clearly, but the disciples had their mind around a certain way this was going to happen. The disciples had their mind that he's the Messiah, he's the one that's coming, he's going to overthrow governments, he's going to destroy the oppression of the Israeli people, and he's going to rule and reign right now. That's all going to happen right now. What they didn't understand, that Jesus' assignment at that moment in history was to win the battle for the hearts of men, and that getting men to follow him and join his kingdom, and provide a sacrifice so that all of mankind could be forgiven and set free from the bondages of sin and sickness and disease and death. And so Jesus did that. He didn't just go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sins, but they put him in the grave. He was dead, and and the third day, he did exactly what he said would do. The Bible said under his own volition, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he just gets up. The Bible talks about the idea that he didn't just go into the, the, to, to the grave, but he also descended into hell, took captivity captive, and set the captives free. And it also said that he ascended to the Father after he sent the Holy Spirit. So I, I, just, I just want you to understand that Jesus is a keeper of his word. That Jesus says he'll do something, and then he does it. He's faithful. And that's what these ladies found. And, and, and they couldn't believe it. They couldn't get their minds around it. Peter and John were still trying to figure it out. And it's just like so much of the time, we just don't get it. So much of the time, we're looking for answers in the wrong places. You know, the the soldiers said to the ladies when they came to the tomb, I mean, not the soldiers, but the angels, they said, why are you seeking the living among the dead? In other words, they were saying, hey, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. He's not here. Don't you remember what he said to you? He said he's going to raise from the dead. It, it, it would be crazy for people who are living and living their lives full of purpose to be hanging out in the cemetery. And that's basically what was going on here. They were looking for a, a man who was alive in the place where men lay dead. And so much of the time, we're trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction 
and answers and solutions to what's going on in the world and what's going on in our own life and dealing with our own emotions and our feelings and our own failures and our faults and our own circumstances and difficulties. And we're trying to find answers. And a lot of times we're looking for the living among the dead. A lot of the times we're in the cemetery when we should be out living life. Because the best way to defeat death and the effects of death and the effects of sin and hell and the grave is not to be obsessed with their power over us or obsessed with all of the problems that come with that, but it's to be committed to living life full of purpose that God has given us to live. It kind of reminds me, when you think about looking for the wrong thing in a wrong place, it kind of reminds me of a story I heard the other day. And it was about a shepherd. And the shepherd was herding his flock, and it was kind of in a remote pasture. And suddenly, a brand-new BMW advanced out of the dust cloud towards him. And, and this driver, who was a young man, had a very expensive suit on, Gucci shoes, Ray-Ban sunglasses, Eva St. Laurent tie on. He, he leaned out the window, and he asked the shepherd, If I tell you exactly how many sheep you have in your flock, will you give me one? And the shepherd looked at, at him and said, obviously a yuppie. And he said, uh, sure, I'll give, you, I'll give you a sheep if you can figure out how many there are. And so the yuppie parked his car. He whipped out his iPad. He surfed the web onto a page in NASA. He got on the Internet where he called up a GPS satellite navigation system. And then he scanned the area and, and opened up a database and an Excel spreadsheet to some complex formulas, and then he was able to give this report to this man. It was 130 pages, and he showed him, and he said, you have exactly 1,586 sheep. And the, and the shepherd said, that's correct. Here, take one of the sheep. And so he watches the young man select one of the animals, bundles it up, puts it in the car, and then the shepherd says, if I can tell you exactly what your business is, will you give me my animal back? And he said, okay, why not? And he said, clearly, you're a consultant. He said, that's correct. How did you know I was a consultant? He said, how'd you guess that? He said, oh, there's no guessing required. He said, he said you turned up here even though no one called you. You want to get paid for an answer I already knew to a question I never asked. And you don't know anything about my business. Now give me back my dog. <laughs> the man didn't even know what a sheepdog was. And sometimes it's exactly what we're doing. We're, we find ourselves in the world. We feel so lost. And we feel like, like kind of like a blind person trying to figure it all out. And, and sometimes we land in places saying we have the answer and we know the truth and and, and God has shown us and is showing us, just like he showed the disciples, look, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And death, even though it has a hold on you because of sin, it can no longer hold you if you believe on me and you have a relationship with me because I will set you free from the effects of sin, death, hell, and the grave. As far as Jesus is concerned, as far as believers are concerned, death is dead. We don't, have to, we don't have to live by the fear of sin and the fear of death and the fear of guilt and shame because we have been set free 
by Jesus Christ. And we're no longer looking for answers about life in the cemetery. We're no longer looking in the wrong place to find answers because we have found the truth. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 31, Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and they disappeared from their sight and they asked each other, were, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? What this scripture is doing, it's bringing us into a story that after Jesus raised from the dead, there were some of his disciples that were walking to a town called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And when they were walking there, he appeared to them. Now, he was in resurrected form, and the Bible says they were kept from understanding who he was. In other words, there was some kind of spiritual veil over their eyes. They, couldn't, they didn't know who he was. But he began to talk to them, and they began to say, you know, who are you? You don't seem to know what's going on around here. And Jesus said, well, what, what's going on? He said, haven't you heard of the, 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 what happened to Jesus of, of Nazareth? And he said, who, you know, what, what, is, what happened? And they said, well, you know, he was a great prophet. He was a great leader. And they, they destroyed him. We thought he was going to be the one. We thought he was going to raise up the Jews. We thought he was going to be our answer and our solution. But they killed him and they crucified him and he's dead. And we just, we just are shocked and we, we're sad and we don't know what to do. And, and now some of our women have said that they went to his grave and he's not there. And, and they said there were people there that said he's risen. And we just don't know what to think about this. And Jesus, I would imagine, uh, thinking what an opportunity. And he begins to preach to him. He begins to talk to him. And he, 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 he begins to tell them from Moses all the way through the prophets exactly every prophetic word about him, the Messiah that was coming. And then finally, when they get to the place to eat, he stays with them. And then when they eat, he breaks bread together. All of a sudden, the veil left from their eyes and they realize this is Jesus. He has risen from the dead. And this experience shows us several things about ourselves. Sometimes God has provided answers for us. And because we're so caught up looking in the wrong places that we don't here we don't see there's not revelation to us isn't it interesting that they believed he was the messiah many of them had confessed he was the messiah many of them had said this is the son of the living god but now that he was dead even though he told them he was going to resurrect they already they just accepted the fact that it's over and i just wonder sometimes in life how often we just accept it's over how often do we accept that the things that we believed our family could be, it's just over? We, we believe the dreams that we had in our heart that God placed there as his purpose for us, we just believe it's over. And we give in to this thinking of because something bad happened or some, something we doesn't, don't understand happened, that life can never be the same again or we can never be restored or there can never be help. And these guys were just so sad and so defeated and what they should have been doing is looking for their Savior. What they should have been doing is believing what he had said. And they had gone backwards instead of forwards. Instead of saying, we know he's the Messiah, and if he's not in that tomb, that means he's, he's here somewhere, and we're going to seek him out, and we're going to find him. We're going to pray, and we're going to ask him to reveal himself. To him. We're going to find him. That should have been the attitude, but the attitude instead was, we give up. He, he must have just been a good prophet. They called him a prophet. which is not a bad term for somebody unless you're the Messiah because he's so much more than merely a prophet. 
after Jesus raised from the dead, after he revealed himself to them, the reason I know that their mentality wasn't right and their heart wasn't in the right place was because Jesus revealed himself not only to them, but to all the disciples. And then after that, Peter gets this idea to go fishing. The Bible says in Scripture, John chapter 21, verse 3, it says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Later you find out that Jesus is on the shore. He tells them to cast the other side. That's kind of how he met them and started preaching out of their boat. He did the same thing when he met them. And now he's doing it again as he's about to ascend to the Father and send them on their mission. And he said, cast your nets on the other side. The nets were filled up. Then they swam to the shore. They ate with Jesus. He revealed himself to Peter, and he gives Peter his mission. But isn't it interesting? You might say, well, fishing's not a bad idea. What's wrong with fishing? But it was a bad idea for Peter. It was a bad idea for for his brothers and his cousins to go back to fishing. What they were saying is, well, I guess that part of our life is over. I guess that mission that we thought we had is over. Jesus came, he died, he resurrected. I'm going to go back to to living the way I was living. I'm going to go back to my life because I don't see purpose beyond this. What am I supposed to do now? How am I supposed to move forward now? And so he just goes back to fishing and then Jesus shows up. And I just got to tell you something. God has a mission for you. God has a mission for me. God wants us to honor his resurrection in the best way that we can. He wants us to daily defeat the effects of sin, death, hell, and the grave the best way we can by living His purpose in our life. You see, because every single one of us were given a purpose. When you were born on this planet, you were given a purpose. Your life isn't meaningless. Your life doesn't just exist. You're not here just to survive. But God has purpose for you. Life is supposed to be impacted by you. The kingdom is supposed to be advanced because of you. You have special gifts and talents and abilities and uniquenesses that belong only to you. And nobody else is like you. Out of everybody on the planet, no two fingerprints are the same. No one's DNA is exactly the same. Everybody is unique. And God created all of us with specific intention and purpose. That's how important you are. I don't know if you understand the importance that you have for God. I don't know if you really realize that God doesn't want to just save you, but he wants to give your life purpose and give your life meaning. He told Peter after he... Peter came to the shore and they broke bread together. He said, Peter, I've got a mission for you. I need you to feed my sheep. He said, do you love me, Peter? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love, Lord, you know I love you. Then Peter, feed my sheep. He was saying, what are you doing back here fishing? What are you doing giving up? What are you doing getting sidetracked? What are you doing being distracted? No, 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 Peter. I've got so much purpose for you. I've got so many things I need to accomplish in your life. Now, you may not be an apostle, Peter, that's going to preach in front of thousands and thousands of people, but God has just as important a purpose for you in your circle of influence and just as an important purpose for you in your community. So I want to give you three ways this morning how to live life on purpose. The first way is you have to have the right relationship. 
And the right relationship, first and foremost, is God. You have to have a good relationship with Jesus. You know, the whole purpose of Jesus coming and dying for our sins is so that we could be in relationship with the Father God. God is so holy, and He's so pure, and He's so mighty that in our sinless condition, we cannot be in His presence. We cannot be in close relationship with Him. We cannot be intimate with Him. But Jesus made a way where there was no way. And because of his sacrifice and because he was a perfect, sinless, spotless lamb and he, was, he gave his life, we now, through faith, can come into a relationship with God. And it's not about religion and it's not about routine and it's not about logistical things or liturgical things or systems and processes and and. and, and, and different types of ways we express God. It's, it's it express worship to God. It's not about any of that. It's not about the trappings of religion or being religious. It's about having a relationship with God. The Bible says in, in, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, it says, because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out father, father, or daddy, daddy. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God's made you an heir. Listen, you need to understand, it's not just about being a friend of God. It's about being an heir of God. You're in the family. If you know Jesus, if you come into relationship with him, and I'm telling you, if you're, if you're part of our online campus today and, and, and you do not know Christ or you do not have a personal relationship with him or you think, man, I'm just going through the motions religiously or I really have never made a decision to follow Christ or I don't know that I really truly have a relationship with God, don't let this worship experience go by without praying with someone to come into a relationship with Jesus because I'm telling you, it is a life-changing event and it is exactly what God wants and that's where his purpose for you starts you want to overcome in life you want to be victorious over sin hell death in the grave you want to have victory and power in your life it starts with a relationship with Jesus it's not religion it's relationship I like what William Barclay said he said when we accept Christ, we enter into three new relationships. One, we enter into a new relationship with God. The judge becomes the father. The distant becomes the near. The strangeness becomes intimacy. And fear becomes love. The second relationship, we enter into a new relationship with our fellow man. Hatred becomes love. Selfishness becomes service. And bitterness becomes forgiveness. The third relationship we enter into is a new relationship with ourselves. Weakness becomes strength and frustration becomes achievement and tension becomes peace. You see, that's what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not about duty. It's not about any of these kind of, uh, of uh, trappings that we try to put around ourselves to make ourselves better. Instead, it's coming into a relationship with God and by association with Him, under the unction of His Holy Spirit, we begin to change. Getting into His Word, we begin to renew. We become more like Him. Our righteousness is not found in our ability to do right. Our righteousness is found in the empowerment that comes with His righteousness being accepted by us. I don't go to church to make social connections. I go to church because it's God's family gathering, and Jesus says if we gather, He'll be there. I don't worship because it's trendy. I worship because I want to tell God how much I love Him. 
I don't pray because it's my religious duty to pray. I pray because I want to talk to my friend Jesus. I don't study the Bible because it's religiously educational for me. I study the Bible because I want to hear the voice of my Father. I don't tell others about Jesus because I want them to be religious. I tell them because he's the best friend I've ever had, and I want them to know how to have a relationship with him now and for eternity. I don't follow Christ in faith and obedience because it covers up my flaws. I follow Jesus in faith and obedience because he changed me. He found me when I was lost. He brought the light into my darkness. He resurrected me from spiritual death. He loved me just like I was, but loved me too much to leave me like I was. He forgives me and he teaches me to forgive others. I don't pray, study, go to church, share my faith, and live a changed life because I have to. I do it because I get to. He's enabled me. He's empowered me. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He is the truth, and I have a relationship with Him, therefore I'm free. For the longest time as a young person, I didn't understand this, and it's why I couldn't find my way to Christ, because I simply was trying to be religious and didn't understand He could change me from the inside by having a relationship with Him. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. All other relationships to be truly right, you have to start with having the first relationship right, a relationship with God. That's how you begin to live life on purpose. The second thing is living His purpose for you intentionally. I'm just going to tell you, you don't live God's purpose for you unintentionally. You have to do it on purpose. It's not an accident. You don't fall into it. It's something that we do. We embrace his purpose and we live his purpose the bible says in romans chapter 8 verse 28 and we know in all things god works for good for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose his purpose not our purpose not our purpose that we want him to bless but his purpose for our life that we submit to and surrender to and live through You know, there's so many examples of this that I'm not going to go in today. But you need to understand God has a purpose for you. And it's not just for you to find some career. It's not just for you to go through some kind of activity. It's for you to understand he created you with certain kind of gifts and personality and talents and and, and, uh, skills and, and, and just has created in you Someone who has the potential to become everything he intended for you to become. And then when you come to know him in a relationship and he connects with you on that level, he wants to redeem not only your soul, but he wants to redeem all those gifts and those talents and those purposes in your life for what he originally intended for you. I like what Richie Norton said. He said, intentional living is making your own choices before other people's choices make you. And I think what we deal with in life all the time is we go through life living out other people's choices because we're not living purpose intentionally. Even as believers, we're not living God's purpose for us intentionally. We're just going through spiritual emotions or religious motions and then living our lives and saying, God bless my life. 
But what's really ended up happening is we're living out the opinions and the ideas and the philosophies and the ideologies of everybody around us. And that's not living purpose intentionally. And if you want to fully destroy death, if you want to fully overcome the effects of death, hell, and the grave in your life after what Jesus did for you, you must believe in him and trust him and have a relationship with him and then realize he has purpose for you and you must be intentional about it. You need to discover what it is. That's why we have Summit Next, so you can go discover what your giftings and your personality and your motivational gifts are. Uh, you need to develop those, grow in those, mature those, be in the house of God, be in small groups, growing and developing and learning, studying the word and seeking the face of God. And then deploy those, actually use them, make a difference in your world using the purposes that God has put in you. And the third and last thing is this, we need to be obsessed with purpose-filled life, not terrorized by it. My wife is the perfect example of this. So, mu- so many things God has asked her to do that she was deathly afraid to do. But this girl, she just will take it as a challenge. I mean, we've gone to Africa and Cambodia at daring times where she didn't want to go, not because she didn't love those places, but because she doesn't like to fly. Not like that. And it just scares her. But I've seen her in faith just walk on those planes and believe God to keep us safe as we get to where we're going. Not long ago, she spoke right here in this church. And and it was because God gave her a word. And she had to overcome all kinds of uh, of fear and anxiety to, to, to take that step. But she did it. Why? Because To really win victory in life, to really overcome, to put that final nail in the coffin of death over your life is to be obsessed with purpose, the God's purpose in your life, and not let fear rule your life. John 10, 10, the Bible says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and more abundant life. Listen, God loves you. Jesus went to the cross for you. He overpowered death for you. And He wants you to not let death and sin and hell and the grave rule in your life. He doesn't want you to let the world rule in your life, the philosophies and ideologies of the world to rule in your life. He wants to give you victory in your life. He wants to give you victory in your life. And the way we do that is to have a relationship with Him. To truly know Him. To live His purpose for our lives intentionally. And to be obsessed with this purpose-filled life, not terrorized by it. God wants you to have a blessed life. God wants to give you life that is full and fulfilled and exciting and adventurous and faith-filled. Rick Warren says it this way, life is about letting God use you for His purposes, not using Him for your purpose. I like what Zig Ziglar says. He says, did you know that every human being is created with a purpose and that they have a responsibility to not only discover their purpose, but also to fulfill their purpose. The difficulties of life, death, hell, and the grave of life cannot defeat us when we have a relationship with Jesus. God has created us with purpose for His purpose. 
And the best way we can defeat the negatives in life, the best way that we can put the nail in the coffin of death is to fully live our lives on purpose, for purpose, that God has put on us, advancing His kingdom, seeing souls saved, lives changed, marriages healed, families restored, sick recover. I'm telling you, God wants to use your life that way on your job, in your school, in your family. The question is, do you believe it? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Can't sting us anymore. Can't have victory over us anymore. Why? If we're in Christ, we are new creations. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. We have life in Him. Let's live it to the fullest. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We praise You. We exalt You. You truly have done more than we we deserve. And Lord, I just pray right now that every single person that's on this online campus today will understand not only that you want them to have a relationship with you and to be forgiven of their sins and to be set free, but that you want them to have a powerful, purposeful, significant life that affects others for the purpose of your kingdom and your cause. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that we'll understand you have risen. Death is defeated. And our life lived on purpose is proof of that every single day. I just want to pray if you're you're with us today and you don't know Christ, or maybe you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. Maybe you've rebelled. Maybe you've run. Maybe you've gone your own way. You're kind of like a prodigal. Or maybe you're a person who's never had a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've heard people talk about Jesus dying on the cross, or you've heard people talk about Jesus raising from the dead, but you didn't really realize, well, that was for you and for God's purpose to be fulfilled in you. I want to pray with you today. I want to pray for you, and then I want to encourage you, if you need to make this decision, there will be someone online, a leader online, a pastor or a leader that will connect with you. Just say in the comments or wherever, I want to make a decision to follow Christ. I want to rededicate my life, whatever the case, and we'll pray with you today. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for every person who may be in the balance of this, who may be who may be lost, not know you, still wandering around in the dark. Or maybe they're a person who've walked in your light, but they've turned and gone their own way. I pray, Heavenly Father, that today they'll find you. And I know the reason they're watching is because you found them. And I just pray right now, you'll help them to make that decision in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.